So I, I encourage you today as we, we read scripture and you hear the words and this, uh, hopefully it's a familiar story. If it's not, that's okay too. Hear the words from a child's perspective. Hear this bit of scripture from as if it, maybe it's the first time you've heard this and hear what God is doing in this set of scripture. We're in Genesis 32. Verses 22 through 31, if you're following along, I encourage you to get your app out or pull out your Bible. Or if you're here, you can follow along on the screen with us. Genesis 32, I do invite you, if you're willing and able, as we read the Word of God, would you stand and hear? The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream... And likewise, everything that he had, Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go. Unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed, Peniel, limping because of his hip. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'm super excited about this sermon series, and you never know how God's going to wrestle with the preacher as uh, as, uh, the scripture works on the heart to be able uh, to figure out what it is to say aloud about what God is speaking through the word. So will you join me as we pray together? Lord, we are coming to you from a a crazy, uh, upside-down, turned-around world and into the, the peace of your sanctuary. And yet, even in a peaceful place, or maybe even because we feel that we're in a safe place, sometimes it is you reveal to us things that we need to struggle with things without, things within. So, Lord, as we come to you, be gentle with us. Uh, but at the same time, don't, don't mince words for us either. Help us to see clearly what it is that you're saying to us and let use my words and the meditations of our hearts to, uh, to transform the way in which we understand your presence in our lives and the way in which we see how you're calling us to love our brothers and sisters, neighbors. 
friends and enemies, Lord be with us during this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't know if this story is uh, very familiar to you. Jacob has has come through a lot. Uh, Jacob is, uh, you know, his very name means to to strive or to grab. Because, do you remember, as he was being born, he was a twin. And he was born second, but he was grabbing a piece of his brother who preceded him. Do you know what part of the body that was? The heel. The heel of his brother he had uh, by the hand. And so uh, he struggled with his brother. And then he tried to wrestle the birthright away from his brother. And uh, had to trick his father in doing so. You remember about the fur that he used and he put on his arm so he'd be hairy like the older brother? And then uh, we find him right now in this scene having absconded with some of his uncle's livestock and pretty much his whole household, this huge entourage, has been on a journey of some days from Haran. And this whole journey is... It's just loud and noisy and messy and smelly, all right? You've got loud hooves of the fine livestock he's brought with him. He has a plan. He really, he wants to, to, to get in his, back in his brother's good favor, the same, very same one he stole the birthright from. Yeah, that one. And, uh, but he's brought some livestock with him. And so you might think of it as a bribe. I think he was trying to tell himself it was a gift, there are clamoring protestations of two sister wives, and I don't know about you, but if I'm on a long journey, I complain a lot. And I imagine with two wives, there's twice as much complaining. And not only that, they're also um, maids. And then the fuss and bother of, you know how many kids he already has by this time? Eleven. Eleven children. And uh, I don't know how you get them to walk in step in line, but anyway, it's a mess. And this whole journey, and suddenly, as we begin this, 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 these verses, at the ford of the Jabbok, which is a small stream that empties into the Jordan from the east. So you, you're, you've got this fork in the river, which is uh, showing them the, this fork in the road. Something needs to give before they get to the next place. So he sends his motley crew across the stream, and Jacob finally finds himself alone. Now, how many of you parents have been caught, cooped up with your kids and haven't had a moment to yourselves since March, right? <laughs> After we were told, yes, I got a few hands here, um, and maybe some of you watching at home are in the same boat. It must have been a blessed moment as he listened to those jarring sounds of his huge family that faded into the distance. We never know how loud it was where we are until all the noise goes away. And then you can start to hear the hum that's left in your ear as they go. But then out of nowhere, Jacob is jumped by a man who wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. That's what it says in the scripture. There's apparently no time at all between the disappearance of Jacob's clan and the attack of the man. And the Hebrew says very specifically man. Later on in the scripture, 
is when Jacob says that he's seen God face to face, and that's how he names the place where this happened, Penuel or Peniel. And um, but in the, in the verse, it truly says that there's a man who comes, not an angel, not God, but Jacob sees a man. And the man wrestles. Now, in the Hebrew, the word is yebek. He wrestles. And then that word, yebek, is pretty close to Jacob's name, which is Yaakov. And they do this at the jabok. So if you were listening to this in Hebrew, you would, you would be hearing the, the, the speakers say something like, Yaakov was yebek at Jacob at, um, what is it? Jabok, right. So, oh, I kind of messed it up, but you get it. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of play on words and they're like, okay, I'm paying attention. This is going to be a, something important's going to happen right here. Now, with whom would we expect this wrestler to be wrestling with? This grabber of a birthright from his father and his brother, the one who took the family goods from Laban with a series of ruses. Who is Jacob getting ready to wrestle with now? It seems as if his whole life he's had something to prove. As if he feels like whatever he's owed, he has to do some harm to someone else in order to get what he feels is due to him. Hasn't he already wrestled with all these other men and won? Right? He may not have gotten to be born first, but he did get the birthright and uh, fooled everybody in the process. And then uh, he did finally get the wife he wanted. And then as he's leaving Haran, he is able to take with him uh, whatever, whatever he wanted, whether or not he was given permission. Has not Jacob already wrestled enough? Well, I think that we're seeing here that he has not. There is another possibility of somebody that he needs to wrestle with. And if somebody is always pointing the finger and saying, uh, you know, you're the cause of my problems. And because of you, I had this other problem. You know, every time you point your finger at another person, how many other fingers are pointing back at yourself? Jacob has a little wrestling to do. With himself, Is it not Jacob who needs to battle his own grasping life in order to discover his place in the ongoing story of Israel and God's choice for them? I think uh, we have all been in a place where we realize at, at some point we realize we have been blaming someone else, but really the work that I need to do is within myself. Anyone who knows someone who has detoxed from an addiction knows intimately this truth, what it is to wrestle with your own inner conflict, what it is to both want something to the marrow of your bones and also to know that that desire or acting on that desire would mean your own self destruction. Anyone who knows someone or loves someone who has needed to be dropped off at, at rehab, for example, 
knows that you can do that a million times, but until that person is willing to wrestle with their own inner demons, the outcome is going to be the same. And we will always slip back into our old ways if we always have someone else beyond ourselves to blame for the predicament we've gotten ourselves into. This whole movement of this scripture from encounter, when, when Jacob encounters the man, uh, in the man, he's really wrestling with himself, I would argue, and how he must come to a sense of repentance before God can see through him, see him through to transformation. The way forward for this estranged sibling has to pass through an intense encounter. He has to encounter his past and his shame and his guilt and sometimes even the threat of violence as he moves toward dialogue because he does eventually open up a dialogue with the one he's been wrestling with and ultimately toward a reconciliation. So as I've been looking at this scripture and considering that could it possibly be that Jacob is wrestling with his own innermost demons and how God would stay with him as he wrestles with himself toward daybreak, I've been wondering, is there, is there something that I have needed to wrestle with on my own? Something that I thought was outside of me, something I could say isn't, hasn't the world gone to pot? Or what is, how is it that my parents' generation or my grandparents' generation got it so wrong in what I've inherited today that uh, we have all of these lingering problems? Or just bring it back to the present. How many of you have threatened to or actually have deleted your Facebook account or your Twitter account because you just can't argue with one more person who you know is wrong about the way they see, have seen the situation and are describing what's happening in the world. And you name it, whether it's why we're wearing masks or uh Who's at fault for the violence and demonstrations that have come up? There's so much going on in the world. It'd be all too easy to just turn it off. Well, something happened. A conversation that I had within this last month caused me to see something new, gave me a kind of cognitive dissonance. Throw up that picture that uh, we uploaded earlier this this uh, drawing was the first of its kind and is more than 100 years old, but it was made famous by a philosopher, Wittgenstein, and uh, he was trying to say sometimes we see, see things uh, in different ways. We, sometimes we see that something is, or sometimes we can see something as. So there are different truths, and so there is an animal on your screen, <laughs> and I wonder which animal you see, <laughs> because it's the same black lines on the page. But if you're looking at the animal facing in this direction, you might see a beak and a duck. And if you're looking at the animal and you think the eye is facing this direction, what will you see? A rabbit. A rabbit. Yeah. 
So something caused me to change my perspective on actually another image. You can take that one off so we're not too distracted. Um, I heard uh, a man who is also an ordained elder, just about almost exactly my age, who caused me to see a symbol within my own church that I had never seen from that perspective. This man remembers when he was 10 years old back in 1979 when he was with his mom in the car and driving with siblings and cousins and they were, you know, just getting ready to get to their destination. But as they approached Shreveport, uh, his mother pointed to the side of the road where a cross was burning, 79 friends. And she said to her son and the rest of the kids in the car, she said, this is one way some people try to imitate, uh, intimidate black people. This is, what, this is what this symbol means. Well, this man was called to the ministry and uh, found his way to, uh, to a Wesleyan way of understanding. His heart was truly warmed by God in Christ. He felt a strong call and made his way into the Methodist church. But the first time he set foot in a church and he saw our cross and flame, you know how the Methodists have a cross and, and dual flames that go up the side, kind of symbol, has symbolized for the last 51 years the Methodist church, the coming together of two churches, the Evangelical United Brethren and the Methodist church into one big united Methodist church. He said what he saw when he entered the Methodist church for the first time was a burning cross. Now, in that moment, I could have corrected him and told him what the original image was meant to stand for. And uh, I could have been defensive because that image has been so precious to me. I have two grandfathers who came out of those previous traditions and retired in the United Methodist Church. I've inherited crosses and flames, uh, cross stitch and wooden, and I wear them on my caps and on my, on my t-shirts. I, I have loved the cross and flame because it shows my, it for me has demonstrated my spiritual home. But since my brother in Christ pointed out to me that, uh, that not everyone has the privilege to be able to see it in the same kind of innocent way. My beloved cross and flame has lost its innocence in me. And I must now ask the question, and this is the, the, the big question. This isn't, we can solve this in safe harbor, but the question for me is, if the cross is so precious, and if for a whole entire population, people of color in, in my community might see it as, an, as a symbol of oppression, how precious can it still be to me now that my eyes have been opened to how someone else might see it? And to be able to participate in that conversation without getting defensive, but to say, if my church is going to be open, if I really want to include people of all ages and nations and races, as Christ says, if there is no one who is to be excluded from God's grace, but I have a symbol that I cling to that might exclude 
Might it not be time for me to loosen my grip and to invite some more voices at the table? I personally am not an artist. I'm not a graphic artist. I don't have the answer yet, but I do know that I can never look at the symbol the same way. And as that unrest, that burr under my saddle that my friend put there is kind of like the gods wrestling with my realization that because of my privilege, I never saw it before. And now I see how something I thought was innocent could continue to oppress. My friend encountered me. He spoke his truth in a way that I could hear. And I tried to listen with my best ears without making excuses. And he brought me to a place where I can truly say, I am not free from the sin of racism. I am not free from the sins which grip me, which no one else can wrestle with but me and Christ through me. And it's only through that repentance that I can hope to be transformed to be the, the child of God that God made me to be. Jacob did meet face, God face to face at the ford in the Jabbok. But not until he recognized that God in the face of his doltish brother Esau, whom he expected to kill him after he had stolen everything from him, but who instead welcomed him with a massive hug and probably a slobbery kiss. I think that Jacob wrestled with himself at the Jabbok and encountered a God who would never let him go. His, God's love is so deep and wide and strong for us that while we're having our little tantrum in the middle of the grocery store aisle because we can't see things the way we want to see them or get the things that we want, God's holding us down with a finger. If we, you know, if we wrestle hard enough, we may, uh, just because God's gentle enough to hold us down, we may also have a dislocated hip, right? Our, our socket may come loose, but from our own wrestling, not because God wills it for us, but because we can be our own worst enemies. Only when Jacob can see Esau, not as his enemy, but truly as his brother, will he see God. And it won't be because of a great struggle against God, but rather an amazing reception of unexpected grace and love on the part of God and God through Esau. Friends, our God is a God who will let you wrestle with yourself until daybreak, but whose love will never let you go. He wants us to come to the conclusions we need to come to on our own. He can't force us into rehab. He can't rehab us from any sin, whether it's uh, our, our racism or our, our greed or our envy or our sloth, whatever it is that is keeping us 
from a loving relationship with God and neighbor, God knows we need to wrestle with that. But he's the one who gives us the forgiveness on the other side. He wrestles, he stays with us until the break of day, until the dawn of our salvation. The way forward passes through an intense encounter, through our repentance to God in Christ, so that he can truly be the agent of our transformation as individuals, but ourselves as the body of Christ, and then beyond us as we are agents of change for the world. May it be so for each and every one of us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.